going to continue today to preach from the book of Colossians, the series that we started a few weeks ago. Today you're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 in the New Living Translation. It says this, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. Just reading his word today, I feel God's touch today. Today I'm going to preach to you standing firm in Christ, standing firm in in Christ. God bless you. You may be seated. There is a search for meaning. I've talked about this numerous times. The search for meaning in our world as people are looking for why they exist and they're looking for truth in life. And in fact, we live in a culture that is currently allowing people to define their own truth. That whatever you believe to be true, then that becomes true for you. And whatever someone else believes to be true, that is true for them. And we've talked about this. It doesn't work in the real world. You can't really do that. You can't really have truth that is subjective, that we need an objective truth, a truth that is unchanging, a truth that is real and doesn't change from season to season or day to day, but a truth that remains firm. But because people are looking for truth and they are searching for truth, sometimes they find it and they're not fully convinced that it is true or they're not aware that they have found the truth and so they move on to something else. I told this story a couple of weeks ago about getting my hair cut and my normal barber is here today (laughs) but we were unable to schedule a time to meet together and so I I went to a place that I have gone in the past and there was a guy there who was the next person up to cut my hair sat down in the chair and if if you're familiar with the barbershop or haircutting places, you know, you have conversations, and they do this all day long with people, and, and he's like, hey, what are you, how's your day going? What are you doing? And I said, well, I'm working, you know, you got, got to go back to work. I said, well, I'm working from home today, and well, what kind of work do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? Well, what kind of church? And I told him it was a Pentecostal church, and he, he said it was, is that like the same thing as a Christian God and I'm like yes this is, it is the Christian God and, and I then asked some follow up questions of him as he was cutting my hair and 
he told me from the age of 12 to 18, he went to a Christian church and was part of the youth group. And somewhere in that process, he became disillusioned with, with life or what they were teaching. And then he decided that he was an atheist. And so as an atheist for a while, he, he got tired of that. And then he became, got interested in, in studying Wiccan and those are witches, if you're not familiar with that. And so he was into that for a while. And then he said, and he said basically, I would just call myself a pagan. He said, I, I'm into Norse paganism. And I, I didn't know what that was exactly. And the god Odin, I guess, is the chief god of that. And Thor and various things you would see in Marvel or DC, whichever one it is. You know, Thor is out there. And, and he was currently into that, and as I asked questions, he kind of hem-hawed around. He wasn't really sure. He was new to it, and he was still searching for something. And the reality is he had found Jesus. He had found truth, and he had abandoned that for something else because he always looking. The Bible would say that there are people who are always searching and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth it is important for you and i to come to a knowledge of the truth and to believe the bible is god's word how can we know what we believe is real everybody has a belief there's nobody who doesn't have a belief but how can we know that what we believe is real and how can we know what we believe is true how can we ensure that we are not persuaded to move to something else? Joshua Harris, a man who wrote, I kiss dating goodbye and made a lot of money and talking about courtship and not, not dating and not kissing until you're married. He was, became a pastor after writing that book at probably the age of 21 is when he wrote the book. Somewhere along the line, he got disillusioned and he is no longer not only is he not a pastor, but he's not a Christian. And not only is he not a Christian, but he's now an atheist and he doesn't believe that God is real. And he has a, 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 uh, an organization helping to get people out of Christianity to atheism. That he wasn't sure how what he believed was real. He wasn't sure if he could count on it, if he could trust it. And somewhere in that process became disillusioned. But I want you to understand that Jesus is the only source of truth and salvation that there is no other truth apart from him and as such you and i must stand firm in christ paul would talk about this in the text that i read and from that text i'm going to draw four reasons why we should stand firm in christ the first he gives is this and that is to mature us as christians Maturing is the process of growing and becoming more seasoned. We talked about Terry. They just had their baby, and if in three years from now that child is still like he is today, he's not maturing. He's not growing. There's something wrong physically with, with that process. And so it is with Christians that God has not called us to become new converts or new to the faith and just stop right there. But he calls us to learn more of him. He calls us to grow and he calls us to mature. Paul would say it this way. I want them, the church at Colossae, to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence 
that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. So I would say to you, this idea of encouragement, being a Christian should be a positive experience. It should be a, a positive time where we, we fellowship with the people of God and we've come to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It should be a positive experience. But that doesn't mean that we don't face disappointment. That doesn't mean that we don't have times of difficulty. But when we, refu- when we mature, we can face that disappointment and those times of distress with faith and joy, knowing that God is in control. Too many people fall away when times are tough. I was raised raised in this. I was raised apostolic Pentecostal. It's the only thing I've known. I've studied other things. I went to a non-apostolic Pentecostal seminary for my master's degree. So I'm not oblivious to what else is out there. So this is all I've known, but, but growing up in church, friends or parents of friends would stop going to church, and I didn't fully understand it as a, as a kid growing up, and I would hear my dad say, well, somebody offended them. Something happened in their life and they left Jesus. They turned their back on Jesus and upon the church and they have now taken another way. That people often, if they're not careful when times get tough, instead of looking to Jesus because they're immature in their faith and they haven't grown in their relationship, when times get tough, they go, well, it must not be the right way. I'll look for something else that will make life easier or where I don't have any problems. But he never promised us we wouldn't have problems. He said, in this life you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That Jesus is with us. And as we mature as Christians, we understand that we can be encouraged that even though bad things may come our way, he is with us. And not only is he with us, But he calls us here, as Paul would say, I want them to be knit together in love. That we're not, it's not just me and Jesus. It's not me and Jesus by ourselves. God has called us to be knit together in love with one another. There is a truth in the New Testament that presupposes that Christians are going to join together, that Christians are going to be in community together, and they're going to be in fellowship together. Look at your neighbor and say, we're called to be together. And it doesn't mean that we're just called to be together here on Sunday or when we gather together as a church body, but we're called to be together All the time. We're called to be a a body of believers, a local church, an assembly of people who are joined together in the body of Christ and joined together in the bonds of love, as he would say. We are bound together. So when you hurt, I hurt. And when you have problems, I make them my problems so that I can help because we love one another and we help one another and we're joined together. And when you mature as Christians, 
it's not a social club when you come to church. It's not just, what have you done for me lately? But it's, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Come and hang out with us. I haven't seen you at church. Come and worship with us. Whatever it is, because we love one another and we want to be together. The Bible has a number of words in the New Testament, at least, that is used for love. Here it is the word agape, which is this unconditional love that when we are mature Christians, it doesn't matter if you do something I don't like. I love you. It's unconditional. It's not based on what have you done for me lately. It's not, it's not based on whether you're serving. It's not based on whether you're giving. It's just based on the fact that you are a child of God, and that we love each other, and when you have problems, we help one another, and we get together with one another. We are knit together in love. But beyond that, what Paul says in this maturity is that we would have full and complete assurance and understanding of God's mystery. The Bible speaks of mystery. The Greek word is mysterion. It's, it's a word. We don't understand something. It is a mystery. But he said you can have full and complete confidence in God's mystery, which is Christ himself. We've talked about this already because Paul mentioned it in Galatians 1. The mystery is that Jesus is God revealed in flesh. He is God manifest in flesh. The mystery is that God is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And the mystery is that Christ can live in us and be in us. And as we looked at last week, because he's in us, we have this assurance of heaven. It's a mystery of the incarnation. It's a mystery in how we get to heaven because of this message. But Jesus is the only way to heaven. That is the mystery. There is no other way to get there. Secondly, Paul would say we need to understand the source of truth. It is the second reason for us to stand firm. That in him or is it in Christ lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus spoke in parables so that the truth was not apparent. He actually said this, and a lot of times people, people will tell you that the reason he spoke in parables is so you can understand. Jesus said, I'm speaking in parables because I don't want to just throw it out there for everybody. I want you to really search it out. I want you to really know that the things of the Spirit are only spiritually discerned. I want to throw it out there in such a way, and his disciples ask him, why do you keep doing this? Why are you speaking to them in parables? And he said, I don't, I don't want to just have anybody hear this, but I want only those who are serious to understand. Seek and you shall find. Anthony talk, called me yesterday. My son Anthony called me, and he was teaching a Sunday school class today for college-age people at the church he's attending in St. Louis while he's there at college. And we actually talked about this. It was in my notes. He's talking about, the gospel, to the Jews, it is a stumbling block, and, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. It's a mystery. They don't understand it. How can this person be God and man? How can this be the Savior? It's not the Messiah we understood. And to the Greeks, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. God doesn't become a man. He doesn't come down in human form 
And how is this person that's supposed to be God, he's crucified on the cross, how is that going to get us to heaven? To them, it's foolishness. Paul would say it is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't matter whether you, you stumble over it. It doesn't matter whether you think it's foolish. It is the only thing that will get us to heaven, and that is Jesus and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in Christ is all wisdom, and in Christ is all knowledge. In Jesus, there is all truth. And i got to hurry. The third thing is this, to maintain a defense against false doctrine. Look at your neighbor and tell him you need to maintain a defense against false doctrine. Now that verse, now that word doctrine there just means teaching. False, you understand, to be that which is not true. Paul started this section of his epistle to the Colossians. With this, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. He says, I've been in agony. I have agonized over you. You haven't met me, but I've agonized over you because I want you to walk in truth. I want you to stay saved. In verse 4, he would say this, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. There are a lot of smart people in the world. And by smart, I mean people with high IQs. They could come up with well-crafted arguments of why the gospel isn't true or why Jesus isn't the only way of salvation Paul would say, but I, I want you to stand firm in Christ because and you need, in order to do that, you've got to maintain a defense against the false doctrine. In fact, Paul is writing this epistle to the church at Colossae because of what is known as the Colossian heresy. There's not a whole lot known about the Colossian heresy, but heresy being false doctrine. But the things we can pick up from this is it is a form of asceticism, and it is, which is punishing your body. It is, there's angel worship going on where instead of worshiping God, they would worship angels and various other eclectic religious beliefs kind of all coming together in, in the city of Colossae and was taking hold of the church. This is why Paul said, I agonize because I don't want you to leave the truth. I want you to know the truth. I don't want you to be persuaded that there's something else out there you need to do and there's some other truth that you need to get a hold of. And the Bible, the New Testament specifically, would frequently warn us against false teachers and against false doctrine and against false teaching. And this is some 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And already in the church, there is an abundance of false doctrine. An abundance of false teachers who are telling things about Jesus that aren't true, and they're taking the scriptures and they're twisting them and saying something that is not what is meant. But understand this, that the Bible is the arbiter of truth, and everything that we do has to be judged in the light of the scripture. 
that when I get up here on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night and I'm preaching or teaching the Word of God, I can say the Bible says. But it's not just because I say the Bible says that you need to know that that's what the Bible says. You need to look at it for yourself and you need to study it for yourself. And I would tell you, I believe you can trust me to be true to the Scripture, but don't just take my word for it because if somebody else comes along and they, they say things a little better, a little more pizzazz, a little more to our liking, oh, well, we'll follow that. We got to maintain the truth of Scripture and maintain a defense against false doctrine because if we're not careful and if we go astray, if we start believing things that are not true to the Scripture, we can have no assurance that heaven will be our eternal destiny. And then lastly, he said, we need to obtain a well-pleasing testimony. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. This speaks of two things. One is a consistent lifestyle. And two, a stability of our faith in Christ. A consistent lifestyle, a lifestyle, he, and he says it this way, that you are living as you should. That means that there is a particular way that Christians should live. And I won't get into the particulars of that, but just understand this, that it is different than the world. That our attitude and our motives and our lifestyle has to be different than the world because the world is not following the teachings of Scripture. And so if we live just like the world lives, guess what? That is not as we should live. But we are to live in a way that is pleasing to God. We are to live as saved people. We are to live as people who are committed to following Jesus. I've talked about this before, and I've had this conversation three or four times in the last week. But it's one thing to say you're a Christian or that you're a believer or even a disciple. And for most people, you get to define that word or those words however you want to. So I use this phrase, which is biblical, are you a follower of Jesus? And follower doesn't mean that I just believe certain facts about Jesus. Follower doesn't mean that when I take surveys and they ask for my religious belief that I can just mark Christian because I believe in Jesus. Follower means that I am following him. That as he would live in this world, I am to live in this world. And as he would do, I am to do. And as he would think, I am to think. And as he would act, I am to act. It is following Jesus. He closes this with this comment that your faith in Christ is strong. And ultimately, it is that that I am preaching today, that our faith in Christ would not waver, that our faith in Christ would not change with our circumstances. Our, our faith in Christ would not change because of the world around us. Our faith in Christ would not change when things aren't going our way but that it would remain strong and stable. There is only one sure foundation, and that is on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Right. 
that there is no other foundation but that which is Christ. Jesus would say this, and James would echo that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Jesus would say it this way, but because if, if you are a hearer only, if you just hear the word and you don't live the word, then you're like the man who builds his house on the sand and when the winds come and the rains come and the floods come, the house will fall. But if you're a doer of the word, that you're obedient to the word of God, if you're living out the word of God, if you're putting it into practice, then you are like he who has built his house on a rock. And when the winds come and the rains come and the floods come, or troubles and trials and difficulties in your life, your faith in Jesus will remain strong. How many of you want to remain strong in your faith today? I, I don't want to be just a hearer of the word. I don't want to come and go, oh, that sounds good, and I'm, I'm so thankful for what he's done. But I want to be obedient to the word of God. I want to be a doer of the word and live it out in my life. As you stand together, we are to mature as Christians to understand the source of truth to make a defense against false doctrine and to obtain a well-pleasing testimony. I have, as I've mentioned, I've been a follower of Jesus since I was 11, but even before that, raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor and I have seen people come and go I was at a Bible college training people for ministry for 14 years people that were for a season of their lives sold out and committed to Jesus who at some point would turn away from that commitment and turn away from following Him. The reality is this, and I've mentioned it all away, all, all before, but people fall away when they get discouraged. When things don't go like they think they should and when like they expect them to go, they fall away. When they get hurt, when somebody offends them and somebody says something harmful or hurtful to them, or when pastors don't spend time with them or don't let them volunteer in certain areas or whatever it is, people can get hurt and, and turn away from God because they equate those people with God people fall away and lose their faith in Christ when they get distracted and for many that is the biggest challenge is not getting caught up in the cares of this life the parable of the sower and the seed that we talked about the seed is the word of God it's sown by the wayside or sown stony ground, thorny ground, or good ground. The thorns 
Jesus would said are the cares of life. That people get busy doing things. Making money. Having fun. And it's like the cares of life will choke out the seed of the Word of God. And understand, it, it's not... And this is, this is the, the important thing. People will talk about those four kinds of ground and they'll start making analogies or, or making percentages and say, well, there's only one ground that's good ground, so 25% of the seed of the ground that we sow seed on, we can expect them to become Christians. But if you read it carefully, three of the soils receive the Word of God. Three of the soils believe the Word of God. Three of, the, three of those kinds of people, they start following Jesus. The wayside, it just, they don't follow Jesus. You, you tell them the gospel and they just, whatever. But three of the four, they hear the Word of God and they receive it. And then, for some, it's that stony ground. And I referenced this earlier, the devil. Maybe it was in Sunday school, the devil will come and steal the seed. They believe it, they receive it, but before they can really get, let it get a hold of them and germinate in their life, the devil's like, oh, you don't need to believe that. You don't need to do that. Sometimes it's him personally in the sense of it's demonic, and sometimes it's friends or family. You don't really believe that Jesus stuff, do you? The thorny ground, the word takes root in it. It's beginning to grow. They're beginning to follow Jesus. But the thorns choke out. And Jesus said it's the cares of life. The busyness of life. Not prioritizing Jesus. Not prioritizing his word and they get distracted. They start chasing other things. People fall away when they get disconnected. Paul said it earlier, and we talked about it. We are knit together in love. When you try to live for Jesus by yourself, you get disconnected from his body. And over and over, the writers of the New Testament would say that the body of Christ, and they would use these members in particular, and the hand can't say, I don't have any need of the eye. And if you get disconnected, die. You will fall away. But my call to you today is this, is to stand firm in Christ. To buy the truth and sell it not. As the writer of Proverbs would say, buy it and do not sell it. That when you get a hold of it, don't let anything take it from you. Don't let anything shake you. But stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only saving message. And His name is the only saving name. And He is the only way to heaven. And when you get a hold of that, do not sell it. Or as Jesus would tell the parable of the pearl of great price. When the man would saw this great pearl, it was of great price. And he sold everything he had so he could buy the field to get the pearl. That it's worth everything to get to Jesus and stay faithful to Him. So how do we do it? We spend time with Jesus in prayer and worship. 
We spend time in God's Word through reading and studying. And we spend time with God's people in church and beyond. Staying connected to the body of Christ. Staying connected to the head of the body, which is Jesus. We've got to stay connected to Him if we're going to stand firm in our relationship with Him. Would you lift your hands, your voices right now? And would you ask God to help you do that? To stand firm in your relationship with Jesus. God, we want to be everything You've called us to be. We want, Lord, to to serve you, to follow you, to walk in your ways. We want to be the person, the people you have called us to be. God, we pray that you would help us to stand firm. Lord, that you would help us to walk after you and to follow you completely in everything that we do. God, I pray that the power of your Spirit would draw us to you. God, that we would love you with our whole hearts and that we would be completely committed to you today that we would walk in a way that's pleasing to you and that we would love our brothers and sisters in Christ and we would seek to be knit together in love. We would seek to be knit together, Lord, as a body of believers. And God, I pray most of all that our faith in you would remain strong, that our faith in you would never waver, that we would never look for some other truth in some other way, some easier way to do things, but we would be committed firmly and completely to you. And we give you praise and glory and honor for